Welcome to Two Halves Make a Whole. I'm Mike Cherney. And I'm Aaron Blumenthal. And we are Two Halves Make a Whole trying to impart possibly a little bit of uh, a little bit of information. As always, remember everything is risky, especially some of the things that we talk about. But today we're going to talk about emotions and the market and sort of how can you, you know, look at it. Like it, there's multiple ways of viewing what's currently going on. And, uh, and we're going to kind of discuss a few things. Yeah, when we talk about the market, we're talking about, I guess, any tradable market. There's different asset classes. We've talked through a number of different ones in previous episodes, uh, particularly around stocks and a few episodes dedicated to cryptocurrencies. And this last week saw some of the biggest sell-offs ever in the crypto space. And people have completely freaked out over it. And there's, there's a term that goes around... Uh, the internet quite a bit, and if you're not familiar, it's it's FUD or F-U-D, and it means fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and it is the counterpoint to FOMO or fear of missing out. Yeah. And what we saw leading up to last week was a lot of FOMO buying, and there were what's known as meme coins, which we'll get into in a little bit. But if you've heard of Dogecoin, there was a lot of money getting poured into these meme coins that were not really any real substantial tangible project technology at, uh, really a real thing to invest in and um it yeah it's basically a, a fiat on a fiat right it's like it's kind of it's a joke on a joke essentially is, is a way to look at this and actually before we continue let's take a step back so we're talking about like these meme coins and, and stuff let's actually kind of unpack a little bit, starting with Elon Musk on SNL, which sounds like the beginning of a terrible joke, but it goes back even a little bit further than that. So think about like the birth of the internet and the kind of when you remember things like going on, right? Sending pictures back and forth of cute cats and, you know, different like animals, uh, videos, Charlie, uh, Charlie bit my finger, which we can get into in just a second, uh, was, was, was big on YouTube when that when that first came out on the platform. It was one of the first major viral videos. Um, but basically, there are these jokes that are just kind of inside jokes that keep going and going and going. That's essentially what a meme is. So anything that you see on the internet that has text over an image, anything your mom sends or grandparents or anybody you know in you know, chain emails saying this is funny, forward, 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 response, forward, forward, forward. A lot of that is sort of is derived from this like meme culture, right? And one of these memes, one of these kind of like jokes was Doge. The Doge. The Doge. And uh, we are not referring to the medieval Venetian leader um, <laughs> who had a house on, uh, you know, in Venice and I think one in Murano, right? No, we're, we're... no episode would be complete without a history trail. Absolutely. That's, that's my whole shtick. But if we go and we, and we kind of like look at this, it's, it is literally these images of Shiba Inus with sort of like, kind of like child's words next to it. Like, so such wow, much hate. And, you know, it was just, it was funny. It was cute. It's, it's based off of this, um, uh, this sort of subculture in Japan called kawaii, um, where things are like kind of cute, kind of silly, but Doge, this was a big internet thing back in, I think like the early 2010s, maybe even a little bit before that. 
At the same time, this is when, you know, cryptocurrency was coming out. And so kind of to make a joke of this, people made Dogecoin. People made this like kind of joke currency uh, based on the fact that Reddit and Dig and all those internet sites that came before it, which are these message boards, they have their own sort of also internal language. And one of these things is, is, uh, is, is Reddit gold. And that's basically if you're a user on Reddit, you can, you know, up arrow, you can click an up arrow or down arrow, basically say, oh, I want this higher on the page or lower. And so people that post things and they get higher up, they, you know, they get this, this current, this fake currency of, you know, Reddit gold. It's, it's not a currency in like the normal sense. It's just sort of like bragging rights, right? You it's, get more views for being on top. Yep, exactly. So more people look at it. So now you're more likely to get more views on, you know, your next, your next video or whatever. So that was already sort of built into that like Reddit platform. This like, you know, you do something, you kind of make people laugh and then people will come out and they'll go, oh, okay, cool. Like I'll give you, you know, I'll give you more views. I'll, I'll push you up. So this is already sort of baked into that. So once cryptocurrency came out, people made sort of a joke with Dogecoin saying like, oh, look, now here's another way of doing that, right? Like we'll all get together and we'll kind of pump each other up a little bit. Yeah, and the, the guy who actually invented Dogecoin kept saying, you know, I'm going to make my own coin because all these are fake currencies and why don't I just make a joke currency out of it? So I'm just going to make a Dogecoin. And then someone did make a Dogecoin and the irony almost from the, the creator, if you will, is he doesn't have any Dogecoin. <laughs> so yep. even though the market cap of Dogecoin has gone literally to the moon, uh, it's worth more than, I think it's worth more than Ford. It's like fifty billion dollars. It's, it's an absurd amount. They're, they're worth. It's the joke is worth more than a real company, and a lot of that is from people piling their money in. And when you go and look into cryptos, you'll hear terms like total value locked, and that's how much money has been committed to some of these coins by individual investors, retail uh, retail investors, or big corporations. Or institutional investors and they put money into these coins and so when you're looking at total value locked say for doge a lot of it's come up because you have companies like well it's not really tesla because tesla got into bitcoin but elon right. musk has a bunch in doge and that's what he was messaging about before he got on snl and then he was talking about it on snl you have the dallas mavericks with uh, mark cuban accepting doge as payment and then you have all the fud coming out of this last week with elon about Doge being a more efficient platform than Bitcoin, which is not true. And there's a lot of, um, that's where the, you know, some of the, the you and, and FUD comes through, the uncertainty is a lot of misinformation that goes around the internet and then gets passed around by very influential people and taken as the truth, which then can, just like we talked about in previous um, episodes about, you know, the, the rumors on the bridge for trading uh, shares of, of the East India Company, you have these rumors going around Twitter that then spell uncertainty, fear, put doubt into the market, and people sell thinking this is going to tank. And the more people that sell triggers more people to sell, which then triggers more people to sell. So that's where a lot of this has really spilled out. And when you're looking at the market, and while a lot of you, if you're holding crypto, like I'm holding crypto, it's been a very painful week but what's been interesting is understanding why it's falling more so than just the fact it is falling or the pain of it falling. 
And that stems from a lot of the, yep. you know, the, these these rumors or a lot of just noise. And so there was a lot of things that you can go into, like, there's a lot of conspiracies going around in this. So if you want to look into that, you can do that. We're not going to dive into that so much. But there has been what seems like almost a coordinated effort to attack some of these coins, such as Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin falls, it typically drags the rest of the cryptocurrency market down with it. And ironically now, because so many big publicly traded stocks or companies on the stock market have invested in Bitcoin. When Bitcoin drops, their value goes with it. And so now the stock market is starting to get tied to the cryptocurrency market because of what they're investing in. When, when, these, when some of this FUD news comes out, um, and like I said, it's, it's been almost a coordinated effort, you get a huge reduction in these prices. And that's for a couple different reasons. So when that selling starts, there's a lot of different avenues to trade cryptocurrencies. And we talked about um, different brokerage accounts that allow you to trade in different ways. Well, there's a lot of different cryptocurrencies themselves that allow you to trade other cryptocurrencies on them. And, and you can trade in different ways. And just like we talked about options and futures, you can trade leveraged positions. And this becomes a very interesting point and explains a lot of what's going on in the market. And there's a couple other... Um, I guess talking heads or YouTubers or other people that, that, yeah. that describe this in, in quite a lot of detail. But what these leverage positions do is say you bet a dollar on Bitcoin going up. So you do a hundred to one leverage. Well, if Bitcoin moves up a dollar, every dollar Bitcoin moves up for the dollar that you've invested, you will make a hundred dollars. So if you, if it's not quite exact one to one, uh, just because Bitcoin is worth $38,000. But if, say, you bought a currency, a currency for a dollar for your dollars, you have one coin, that coin moves up to $2. Well, you'd get $200 because you're leveraged 100 to 1. But if that currency drops 10 cents for that dollar, you're immediately liquidated because, or actually, it'd be one cent on 101 leverage. So if it dropped one penny, you would immediately be liquidated unless you had it move up first and you had a position to build off of for it to fall and you not to get liquidated. So getting liquidated just means your position is sold. So if Bitcoin falls 50%, most people are on these leverage accounts can't handle 100 to 1 loss on 50% reduction. I mean, you're, you're, you're out. So yeah. all of a sudden, the beginning of the trades for sale, for selling pressure, pushes that price down, and now you get the 10 to 1 leverage position sell. Then you get the FUD and the fear driving the market for people panic selling, and that drops the market. And then all of a sudden, all these leverage positions start getting liquidated instantly, which then further drives the market because they're leveraged 100 to 1. For every $1 they had in, $100 in the market now gets liquidated. And it immediately cascades. And when Bitcoin falls, like I said, everything else falls with it. And you had all these events happening within a very short period of time. And because there were so many leverage positions, because there was so much money in these meme coins, people panicked and pulled their money out. And it took the floor out of the cryptocurrency market. I am going to, move, uh, to, to talk about a historical example that builds off of something extremely similar. As always, I am, it's not as always, but most of the time, for some reason, it seems to start in the Netherlands. <laughs> so the year is uh, 1636, and it's right around, you know, November. People started seeing bulbs, tulips, 
all over the place and people started started trading on the margins. This was actually outside of the normal exchange that by this point had been set up for the Dutch East India Company. And starting in about 1610, short selling was actually not allowed um, as a result of what we talked about in an earlier episode. So what ended up happening is a lot of people ended up selling bulbs, tulip bulbs. And yes, the ones that you get at the hardware store or garden store. The price of tulip bulbs went from roughly one Dutch gilder in the in November of uh, 1636, and then on February 3rd, uh, 1637, it was over 200 gilders per bulb. The bulbs weren't even being exchanged by hand. And actually, the, uh, the, the, what they referred to this, uh, to this sort of trade was, uh, in, in Dutch, was windhandel, which literally means wind trade. Um, there, was, there was this great flurry of activity. The next day, February 5th, there was a precipitous collapse in the, in the cost of these tulip bulbs from roughly 200 guilders down to basically nothing. Tulip bulbs were everywhere. They were never physically handled. They were never physically moved. This was all based off of increases in contracts and based off of kind of what we're referring to, but this uh, sort of changes in investor attitude. So while this is gonna sound like the most, you know, oh yeah, of course, thing that you'll ever hear in your entire life, but humans are not rational actors. This goes back, yeah, this goes back to like sort of the emotions that we're talking to. This is such a novel concept, like because all of economics, basically starting with you know Adams with Adam Smith and uh, you know Wealth of Nations, he he said there's the invisible hand of market, and there's been this assumption that every single individual actor is going to work in their best interest, and it wasn't until Richard Thaler started in you know the early 1990s all the way through you know like basically the 2010s that this was not the case right he's, he's like i don't believe that these people are in are every single individual is acting in their best interest this we don't necessarily have to look at the markets as if they're you know with quantum equations to to determine what's going on we instead can look at this and use uh use psychology okay why is this happening so richard thaler in the uh in 2017 actually won the nobel prize in economics for behavioral economics so this is this was a this is a totally new concept but but you can see this throughout history, right? So you have, so you have this, um, you know, in, in the 1630s, uh, 1637, uh, 1636, 1637, this, this rush for tulip bulbs in the city of Harlem in, uh, in the Netherlands. You have this again later with, uh, with trading beaver pelts in the Americas in the, uh, in the you know, late 1790s, early 1800s. Um, then you have this again with speculation. Actually, the weirdest case is involves sunflowers and Jerusalem artichokes on the Great Plains in, in the Americas. Um, these farmers were sold this idea that like you can make tons of money by selling these tubers that are roughly growing out of you know these um, uh, sunflowers called Jerusalem artichokes. Have you ever heard, have you guys if you've ever eaten one, they're mildly okay. <laughs> they also like don't they're not from Jerusalem. They're they're literally from like the Americas. But all of these trades and all of these like flurries have one thing in common. Basically kind of human 
ineptitude when it comes to looking and gauging not only risk, but both the upside and the downside of things. We either look at things, we, when we look at things on the downside, we actually usually double or quadruple what we perceive the downside of something being versus the upside we actually perceive as being not as up. Risk aversion. Exactly. And loss aversion. Yeah, and, this, and, and two places that you can see this, any casino, 100%. It's, it's, so, it's so much so that it's a movie trope, right? The person that's, that's already in the red and they're like, I'm gonna win it on this next hand. That's, that's a prime example of that. They can't take the loss, so they're gonna continue to bet hoping they get back to where they are. Double or nothing, double or nothing, double or nothing. Yeah, the, and then the second place that you can see this, garage sales. This one sounds weirder, but every but if you physically own something, you are going to assign that a higher value than if you don't own that and you are trying to buy that. The endowment effect. Exactly. So these two effects kind of work in completely opposite directions, but actually have extreme impacts upon how on how markets are actually actually move. And as we've talked about before, because you don't necessarily have like full-on black rocks kind of controlling large parts of the market and it's more individual investors i say this with quotes i understand the implications but human emotions are actually going to change these things a little bit more right so you have like you you also have something called the consumer price index the cpi and a lot of things based on like that the economy is based on basically derived from this and the way the CPI is actually determined is very much in the same way that uh, anybody's Aunt Linda does when they, when they clip coupons. What is the cost of a basket of goods? Basically, what is it, like, envision, what does it cost to live your life, right? That's the consumer price index and they look at it at multiple places in the United States and then they report that out. That actually moves markets. It's as crazy as that sounds. And then here's the even crazier part is, and I know this is a bit of a tangent, but follow me here. Every single time we try to get rid of the penny or the nickel. They disappear. They, well, no, actually what happens is anytime that we, that like as a country, we try to get rid of them because the issue, the, the issue that we have is they actually cost, cost more to produce right. than they actually are worth, right? So when we do this, when we try to get rid of these, what we actually might end up doing is we actually might end up making things more expensive, right? Suppose you have a, you have a, a soda that you want to buy. I'm from the Midwest, so I'm just going to call it pop, so you're just going to have to live with it. It's a dollar, it's a dollar 13, right? If in your head, there are no longer nickels and there are no longer pennies. Oh, it's a dollar twenty. That's actually a fairly sizable increase in terms. In you're giving them essentially like a fifteen percent markup, just without them asking. So if you, if everybody in the United States internalizes that, that's actually a lot of inflation that would happen instantly. Exactly. And we can see it today. I mean, you look at looking for buying a house, kind of like what I'm doing right now, and. Um, the housing market is absolutely insane for a buyer. And what yeah. a lot of this endowment effect, loss aversion, FOMO, all leads to is the reason you're willing to pay such a premium for something is that you believe the price is going to continue to rise because you wouldn't pay that price if you thought 
that the price was going to fall because that wouldn't make any sense. You'd just wait for it to fall and then pick it up cheaper. But if it's going to continue to rise or someone else is going to take it from you, your loss aversion to losing that house, that sale, that purchase, whatever it is, you're going to pay more for it. And while, and this this is also seen right now with the chip shortage, if you go to a car dealership, was that yesterday as well? <laughs> Picked a good time to go into the oh, market. Excellent things, time. If you go to a car dealership, uh, the salesman is going to use a scarcity principle, telling you that because there's no chips, there's no cars. And so if you want to buy a car, you're going to have to pay less price or more. Well, that's crazy because as a buyer, you always have leverage in any situation, right? And this is not just with houses, not just with cars. It applies to stocks as well or to cryptocurrencies. You can choose not to buy it. You still have your dollars. Now, we can get into other arguments of your dollars losing value as inflation rises at probably unprecedented rates over the next year from all the money printing. But just staying on topic is if you can choose not to buy something. As a buyer, no matter what the market conditions are, you always have the leverage in a situation because the seller needs you to buy it. And if you choose not to buy it, you've now dictated what that price is. And this literally applies to groceries, it applies to toilet paper, it applies to lumber, it applies to houses, cars, etc. And if you choose not to buy that cryptocurrency or not to buy that house, you really haven't lost anything, but the salesman or the seller is always going to try and make you feel like you will lose something. Because by triggering that loss aversion, which is a psychological feeling, right? When things are scarce, yeah. when you have a fear of losing something, you don't want to lose that. And that, that drives such irrational behavior to not lose it that you will buy a Shiba Inu coin for yeah. <laughs> any any amount of money or a Dogecoin for money because um, there's no real underlying value. On, now, granted, you can get into more discussions on it. If everybody's choosing to use it, then it is now real, right? Just like Bitcoin has value because everyone's chosen that they're putting their money into it. And so therefore, there's a value assigned to it. Things are only valued at what people will pay for them. Again, giving the buyer that leverage. And when they're all those sellers during the FUD of this last week on the cryptocurrency market, these sellers are selling for fear that the, the, those uh, coins are going to drop in value for more than whatever they're going to lose on them by selling at that price versus holding and waiting for the market to recover or buying as it drops, knowing it's going to return. And this has happened time and time and time again. And so you can look back through all the articles in the newspapers um, or just news websites. I don't really read the newspaper anymore. But as you're looking through all these news stories from years and years and years past, I mean, my, my cousin just sent me a thing today showing me that for the last 12 years, actually, no, sorry, eight years, but three times, right? So 2013, 2017, and 2021, mm. there's been FUD from China. And the Chinese Communist Party has threatened to ban Bitcoin for use in China. They did it in 2013 and dropped the price of Bitcoin. They did it in 2017 uh, and dropped the price of Bitcoin. Bitcoin ended up rallying 10 times its price after it fell after that FUD. Now again, you have the news timed coincidentally with Elon's news of he's not going to use Bitcoin anymore, uh, that the Chinese government is going to ban Bitcoin again this month. And so Bitcoin has again fallen. But if they've already threatened it three times and they haven't gone through with it and they really 
can't necessarily stop it if everyone has it on their phones they're using VPNs or finding ways around the Great Firewall of China there's still value there and the fact that the coin Bitcoin's value bounced so hard up as it hit 30,000 it yeah. jumped back up because the, the powers that be that have bought Bitcoin or you know, retail investors institutional investors they bought a lot of Bitcoin at 30,000 and it's funny because we covered it or beginning of the year and it was about $23,000 yeah. and so it's sitting at more than 50% more than its value then so in the grand scheme of things it's still doing very well right for it to not be doing well it'd be lower than that point so the the big thing is when you're going to buy something are you going to let those irrational things get to you and I'm not telling you go buy bitcoin like I'm obviously invested in it. I think it will go up. But anything you decide to go buy, you always have the ability to say, I'm not going to buy that because I don't need to because I can buy it when I want on my time when it makes sense for me, if the timing's right, if the price is right, and not let yourself get into some of those irrational, emotional, psychological tricks, plays, etc. to get you to pay top dollar or to get you to pay more than top dollar because these dealers are selling cars for over asking and we're buying a house for a hundred thousand dollars over asking price with no contingencies like when you really rationally think about that why would you pay a hundred thousand dollars more than what the seller wants and void yourself the ability to inspect to appraise to check through the house to make sure there's nothing structurally wrong with it if you end up paying a million dollars for a house and you really are overextending yourself for that because the house list price was you know half a million dollars what happens if you have a foundational issue? You no longer can go back to the seller and say, hey, I need you to go fix this before I buy the house. You've waived that right in the contract because you had FOMO, thinking you're going to miss out on buying that house or someone else was going to get it from you. And so your loss aversion kicked in and you decided to spend top dollar and beyond to get something that you probably didn't need, could have found elsewhere, could have waited a bit. There are exceptions to all these things, but yeah. as a buyer, you always have that ability to say no I'm not going to do that with that let's look at a slight historical example perfect oh yeah I'm, I'm filled I'm chalk filled with these unfortunately unfortunately um, fortunately actually in this case so one example that sh that kind of shows why we are or how bad humans are at looking at things and being and being objective and not looking at necessarily the scarcity or in some of the cases that you're talking about the inherent you know like rightness of something right if i asked you where's the where is the best wine in the world produced you look for an answer i am looking for an answer actually my mom would kill me if i didn't say italy so i want to go with that okay so so <laughs> Historically, <laughs> fair. Historically, though, it's always in France. Like, yeah, I see that. I'm not. I have different opinions on this, and we can go into great detail on this. But historically, it is it is always the French. On May twenty fourth, nineteen seventy six. So for us recording this right now, literally the anniversary is going to be tomorrow. There was what was known as the Judgment of Paris. All of these, uh, like a bunch of merchants from France and from the UK said, like, no, like the French are clearly have the best wine in the entire world. This is, this is without question, 
like we just we just kind of want to just you know like see how bad these American wines are. So these American wines uh, wine producers said, fine, cool. We think we have the best wine in the world. We're going to put ourselves up to it. So numerous, uh, I think it was, I don't remember how many. So I'm actually looking this up right now so I can make sure. It was four French um, French Bordeaux uh, red wines, uh, four, uh, four Burgundies in the whites. And then you had California Chardonnays and California Cabernet Sauvignons, uh, yeah, six of them each. Um, and in, in, the, uh, in the French vintages, you had Chateau, uh, Chateau uh, Maton Rochild, which was considered the best of all time wine-producing chateaus. What was the outcome? The Americans won. 100%. The Americans won. Stag Le- uh, Stag's Leap won in the red wines, and then in the white wines, it was uh, Chateau Montalena. These were both on a Napa Valley. So Napa Valley went from making essentially what everybody in the world, even in the United States, here in the United States, we considered this table wine. This is, this is what you would mix with, uh, you know, like things to make Boone's Farm, essentially. You know, like things that high schoolers drank. Beats the most preeminent vineyards in France in this taste test that was blind and by French experts. People that should know what they're talking about. What happened to the cost of American wine and the prestigiousness of American wines? Those shot through the roof. Now, suddenly everybody said, oh my gosh, I can buy this American wine at such a discount in comparison to, you know, the Chateau Maton uh, Rochelle. And why would I pay for these French wines? There is a precipitous drop in the cost of French wines after this and a precipitous increase in the cost of American wines following this. Napa Valley became the place in the United States to grow wine, despite the fact that Sonoma, which is a little bit north of that, actually slightly better. But yeah, no. From personal experience, I'd agree with that statement. Yeah, I mean, I actually, but, I prefer Carneros, which is going to be the bougiest thing I've ever said, well aware, but um, which is also in the same region, I know. Yep. Um, but this is an instance where the everybody, quote unquote, knew that French wines were just by far and away the best. People are wrong. This also happens with whiskey. Pappy Van Winkle, which is, which I've had, it, it's a, it is a very, very, very good bourbon whiskey. But the fact of the matter is, it, it is not noticeably better than some of these other producers. Four Roses is tr- it has tremendous, uh, tremendously good products. Uh, along with several others, but they're not as highly touted as Pappy Van Winkle. And that, and that entirely has to do with the fact that Pappy Van Winkle has a limited supply and they've built this following around it. It's sort of, it's like Supreme is another version of this when it comes to clothing. Supreme started out as, as skater wear. Like people, you know, it was just kind of this joke almost. Another, uh, another super famous example of this um, would... Uh, would be actually like DeLoreans, which weren't necessarily the best cars. They were, they were pretty innovative in the way that they approached things. But all of these are things that we looked at and we said, oh my gosh, there's something here. And, we, and people built this persona around it, right? Beanie Babies is, another, is, a, is a perfectly good example of this, right? So oh, no. yeah, That's exactly. The most 90s picture I've ever seen in my entire life is a couple at a, at a divorce hearing uh, doling out their uh, Beanie Babies uh, between them. 
right? Like it's just, it's 90s in a picture. It's also like 18 pixels, I'm sure. But like, <laughs> the point is, we just price shot on films, probably pretty good quality. Actually, it's probably really good quality. Yeah, but it, all of these things are, have a couple things in common, and that is a perceived understanding of the absolute value of something versus what its actual value is. And those can be extremely different. And that's something that, we're, that we've been alluding to. But there is a reason that Amish furniture costs substantially more than Ikea furniture, right? That being said, there are, there are times when that might not go that way. And those, those are the times that you should watch out for. So one of the things that Warren Buffett likes to tout and point out is there are these hot companies, right? So actually Berkshire Hathaway started out, I believe as a, uh, I think they made linen and cloth. Yeah, they were a textile company. Yeah. He saw that they were extremely undervalued. People weren't looking at them, right? And so that he has a habit of going through the entirety of their like 10K uh, documents and through and through all of their like financial uh, financial statements that he can get through, S- through the SEC. And then goes, oh, okay, like I'll buy a bunch of this because this is something that people would use or people are undervaluing. And that, if you want to make money, that's where you go, is you go to where something is undervalued as opposed to something that is overvalued. That being said, it is really hard to do that. I have some Beanie Babies still. Um, So it's not like, you know, I say this, like this is super easy, but it's also sort of like telling someone to lose weight and then basically eating a cookie in front of them. It's hard, it's extremely difficult. And to be able to look at something objectively is extremely important. But just like Marcus Aurelius, the, uh, I think it was the first, second century Roman emperor once said, what is wine but musty, rotten grapes? So at the end of the day, just look at things as, as they are and try to keep an open mind about it. Talk about slumlord though, Marcus Aurelius. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah, he bought lots of properties all over. They were horribly maintained. He was selling property to people that had very little binder in the, the materials in there. So they, the houses would literally crumble. People died in them. He was, he was a slumlord. Was yeah, he was, but he was crazy wealthy. He was one of the most wealthy emperors uh, in the Roman Empire. He was also fairly brilliant. So he I mean, was I, you know, very so intelligent. Kind of a slumlord, though. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people are. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, building codes are different. Yeah, there were none back then. Mm, Yeah, people actually, surprisingly, really, really good uh, toilet systems. The word plumbing actually comes from the Latin word for lead because that's what they used as pipes to get uh, to pull plumbing and pull um, excrement out of houses. Mm. PV. Oh yeah. Chemical symbol for lead. Yep. Isn't that nice to know that they were drinking lead? So um, they literally had lead pipes. Yep. And literally led to the demise of the Roman Empire. Yeah, there's a little bit more to that. Yeah. But... Literally, <laughs> literally lots of books about that. There are literally lots of books about that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's like a number on the Dewey Decimal System. There are certain things that I don't know, but I just know for a fact. And I'm pretty sure if it isn't, it should be just a Dewey Decimal System number on its own. Which, oh my gosh... Kids in the future aren't going to know that. That's frightening. Speaking of, speaking of emotions, I'm having a lot right now because I did also earlier this week talk to someone and they're like, Aaron, what's this weird square that's next to, the, that ne- that's next to the word save? 
And I said, floppy disk? And they're like, I don't know what that means. And I, I cried inside a little Dates bit. You a little bit. It does. It hurts every single time I know I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, to quickly wrap up, yeah. a lot of emotions go into the marketplace. Uh, just be cognizant of them, I guess, is the biggest thing we have to say about it. Because there's no real best time to buy or sell, but just don't let emotions grapple you on when you make your decisions because there's there's always more to it. So do a lot of your research, understand what you're doing, understand what you're buying, why you're buying it, the timing of why you're buying it, and just know that you as a buyer, no matter the case, no matter the asset, no matter the thing that you're looking to get, you always have the ability to not purchase or make an offer depending on what's right for you yeah so with that i think we'll close thank you so much for listening and we will see you in a couple weeks i'm aaron and i'm mike thanks for listening to two halves make a whole and we'll talk to you soon